Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey, welcome back to another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm going to do a Brandt's Rants coming to you from the state of Oregon today. I'm actually in Bend, Oregon. I was a few days in Eugene speaking to a sports institute at University of Oregon and then hit the road on a bike. I'm on a bike tour. We started in Eugene, been on the road a few days. Now we're in Bend. Beautiful, beautiful little town in Oregon. Kind of a stopover day. Back on the bike tomorrow for four days of riding. For those people who know it, around Crater Lake in southern Oregon, all the way up around and back up to Eugene. Really nice way, as people know me, I'm really into fitness, I'm really into sort of being active and living life to the fullest, especially with opportunities that present themselves. I had an opportunity to speak at Oregon. They bring me out every year. It's a sports institute and uh, was able to tack on this trip. It's awesome. It really is. It's nice to be active every day in great areas you would otherwise not see. Topography is amazing here, going from fir trees to lava rock to pine trees, etc. Anyway, greetings from Oregon. I want to talk this week about the big CTE study that's been out and sort of the future of football, where it's going, something I've written about, talked about. And then we'll get to Kaepernick because, you know, we have now a date on the calendar, Spike Lee organizing a rally in front of the NFL. I'll give you my thoughts on that. And then a couple other football thoughts on the business of football as we head towards training camp opening of the season, kind of a time I dreaded as a front office executive. The only thing that could happen in the preseason were not good. And they're always involving injuries, holdouts, things like that. So there's really not a lot to accomplish out of the preseason. I know coaches talk about guys needing reps and getting flashing young players, all that. In my mind, a lot of that's BS. I mean, you know what you, you know what you're dealing with. You have to get the reps in. You have to do the installation. I get it, but some of it's really overblown in my mind. But first, let's get to the concussion issue because it's been hanging around the NFL for a while now, and I guess that's my point. How many times? Have we been sitting here saying, oh man, concussions, and look at these guys, and there's future brain trauma, and there's dementia, and there's mood disorders, and CTE, and now we have a landmark study of CTE that's showing 110 of 111 NFL players studied have the disease, and maybe even more concerning, a lot of players that never made the level of football as the NFL have the disease as well. Now, these are in deceased brains. And admittedly, we have a sample size that's biased, that's skewed. Even the lead researcher at Boston University, Dr. Anne McKee, she would say that. Uh, we're talking about people that donate their brains or their families do that have issues, that have issues later in life, things I mentioned, mood disorders, dementia, not feeling well. And so we're looking at a biased sample. You don't have a lot of healthy guys living full and active lives saying, yeah, take my brain. Now, now you do. Now you see younger players who are donating their brain through Chris Nowinski's group at BU, the Concussion Legacy Foundation, players in their 20s and 30s saying, when I die, you have my brain. But it's only discovered in the deceased, and that makes it a challenge as well. CTE discovered in brains. Where do we go with this? Well, first of all, the data. It's somewhat compelling in this way. The most prevalent position by far. Now, again, they have the most numbers because of offense and defense are linemen. 44 linemen are said to have this disease 
in the study, the next one was running backs at 20. So you see what an incredible difference it is from linemen to any other position. That's of note. Because here's the thing. We talk about concussions. We think about the blow-up hit. We think about the violent collision, the shot on ESPN, on CBS, on NBC, on Fox that makes you go, wow, it's the hit from the corner to the receiver. It's the hit from the linebacker to the running back the defensive lineman to the quarterback that makes his head spin. Oh, wow, these are the things that cause concussions, and maybe they do. But here's the issue. The most prevalence of CTE has been in linemen. These are guys playing short area positions. The, the differentiating factor is, you guessed it, they hit each other every play. So it's the cumulative nature of these impacts that are making a difference when you talk about this debilitating disease. That's a data point we can take away from this. Admittedly a skewed sample. We get it. But you can take that away and say, wow, we've got an issue here. Prevalence. So then you extrapolate prevalence down to how many hits are you taking? The NFL, to its credit, and the NFLPA's credit, have really limited the number of hits from February to September. Limited training camp, limited practice, have limited the number of hits even during the season and non-game days. That's good. In fact, probably the less hitting you have in the NFL, more so than college football or even high school football. Those are changes that need to be made. The other issue is youth. Now, this is where you get into the future impact of this study. Youth. The NFL probably understands the study. In fact, the head of player safety at the NFL, Jeff Miller, was on a panel in Congress a couple years ago when he's sitting next to Ann McKee, at that point had discovered CT in 80-something brains of former NFL players, and they were, he was pressed about CT, and he said, yes, there's, there's a link. But he, he went on to say, after the, everyone sort of jumped on the gotcha moment, he went on to say, well, what do we do about it? Which is the right question to ask. But the prevalence issue really drills down to youth football. Should we be starting these players at a young age? And that is really the crux of the matter coming out of this study, because the lineman issue, the, the repetitive, the cumulative subconcussive impacts that, that sort of d d uh, bring up this cumulative effect over time, that are impactful over time, well, the, the way to ameliorate that is to not have them play youth football, to start football at a reasonable adult age. I don't know if that's 14, 15, 16, whatever it is. This bucks up against the NFL with its emphasis on youth football, USA football, heads up tackling, all the thing they're trying to get the youth into football at a certain age so they can then advance and become big time consumers of the product. This is the one area I think the NFL has to relent a little bit on. If the data continues to show that the cumulative nature of football is the problem, they're going to have to let up on the pushing of youth football with contact. Flag football, great, but with contact and pads and hit and helmets and all that, that's where they have to let up. Now, here is the issue that we talk about, and this gets into now the Tom Brady hiding concussions, at least according to his wife, the whole occupational hazard nature of football. I've talked to a lot of people. You heard it on my podcast with Chris Nowinski uh, and Dr. Mez about this sort of this issue of adults versus children. It's just that when Tom Brady says he's hiding concussions, or he didn't say it, but it's inferred from his wife, or other players say it, you know what? I think I'm coming around to the point where that's okay. If you want to do that, you're an adult, you're a consenting adult, you do it. You want to go into a field where 
the primary aspect of your job, one of the primary aspects, is hitting another man in his head or having him hit you in your head. That's an occupational hazard. It's okay for adults. It's okay for people to, to work on skyscrapers and then find out, oh my God, people fall off these things? And of course they do. It's consenting adults. But children is the issue. That's where we have to come out on this CTE thing. So where's the NFL on this? Listen, the NFL is booming. As much as we lament these studies, as much as we talk about an era that was depicted in League of Denial, in concussion, as much as we talk about the NFL putting their head in the sand on this issue, as much as we bemoan these studies, football's not going anywhere. The NFL is in the best business prosperous position it ever has been. Record TV ratings. I know there was a Trumpian uh, downfall last year before the election, but they went back up to 2015 levels after the election. That was a record year. I expect big-time ratings this year. There is new bidders coming into the TV market picture. You have Twitter last year, Thursday night streaming. You have Amazon this year, Thursday night streaming. The NFL's diabolically clever, giving little morsels of NFL football. So when these deals come up in 2020 or 2021, here are new bidders with billions, not millions, hundreds of millions, billions, tens of billions to spend maybe on the NFL. So the NFL is doing well. They have a team-friendly CBA. I've talked about that a lot. Another four years, plenty, labor peace, labor deals very good for the NFL. And then what else? We have asset values that are skyrocketing. Forbes, who knows the valuations, but Cowboys over $4 billion, other teams over $3 billion, a lot of teams over $2 billion. These teams were bought for a couple hundred million dollars. So it's an amazing time to be an owner. Again, you point to that Packer financial report, forget all the Packer info. It showed the national distribution league-wide check was $244 million before you turn the light on, before you pay a player. The player costs are $167 million. In a team salary cap, $77 million less than the teams are getting on a national distribution. So you see, these are salad days for NFL owner. So the more we hear about this, I hear all the time we have a diminution in football. What's going to happen? Is it going to go the way of boxing? Give me a break. Boxing was replaced by MMA which, and ultimate fighting, which is more violent, more savage than boxing. So people talk about the violence in football. Jeez, I mean, that's what people crave. We lament the violence. We bemoan the violence. We lament concussions. We bemoan concussions. But we can't turn away. It's like when I lived in Europe, I saw kids. It's almost like they're mainline soccer and they're the veins, like a drug when they were young. That happens here with NFL. It's just, I don't see any diminution. In terms of talent pool and high school participation down, maybe... But listen, I sat in NFL offices for 10 years. You get thousands, not hundreds, thousands of requests from agents or players directly with DVDs, with tapes, with videos, with YouTubes. Give me a trial, please, please, please. So many players don't get drafted. Of the one, you know, 250 do, thousands want to. I just don't think you're going to see a diminution in the talent pool that has any appreciable effect on the quality of the NFL, or certainly the numbers of the NFL. So that's where I am on this DT. I think we're going to see these studies come and go, and people talk about it for a week or two, and what do they do? They turn back to football. 
if there's anything a threatening the, the continued prosperity and popularity of the NFL, I think it's this. I think it's attention span. And I'm not talking about millennials. I'm just talking about options. We turn away so fast. I mean, look at, look at internet writing. You know, blogs. I mean, people are turning away, going to their next site in 10 seconds, 20 seconds. People roll their eyes if they got to stay with a video for more than 20 seconds. I just think the NFL is going to be packaged differently. It has to be. People aren't going to sit for 100, 200 minutes for 12 minutes of action. That's ultimately a threat, but I don't think it's coming anytime soon. But I do think that's something to think about, maybe even more than this sort of violent concussion thing and, you know, going in the way of boxing again, please. Okay. Let's switch to Kaepernick, the most talked about player last season because of what he did in standing, not standing for an anthem. Most talked about player this offseason. Why? <clears throat> because he's not signed. There goes my point. I think he's a less of a story signed than unsigned. Once he's signed, it's going to be over. Yeah, there'll be people protesting, whatever. And maybe a few people show up to see to protest a backup quarterback on game day. But I don't think it's a story. I don't think it's an issue once he signs. Now when he's not signed, whether it's Baltimore, Flacco's hurt, whether it's Miami, Tannehill's hurt, the drumby, Kaepernick, 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 who's going to sign him? Why aren't they signing him? Who's signing him? So it just goes on and on and it will continue to until he's signed. So I think owners obviously have some trepidation about signing him. As for the league, if they want this story to die down, they would put pressure to have an owner sign him, not owners not sign him, because of the way this thing is going. It just continues to, to bubble up. Every time there will be a quarterback injury, we're going to deal with this until he's signed. And when he's signed, it won't be a story. Speaking of making it a story, there's news just as, as I record this that Spike Lee is organizing a rally in front of the NFL, I believe it's August 23rd, to protest Kaepernick. Now, again, here's the problem for Spike League, league versus team. Leagues can do what they want. Teams do what they want. I mean, if think about it the other way. Leagues put all these domestic violence policies in place. They don't invite Joe Mixon and others to the combine. But teams go out and scout them, and teams do what they do, and teams sign players with character issues all the time. So whatever pressure... Spike Lee is trying to put on the league, I'm not sure how that filters down to the teams. Now, again, what is he going to do? I understand. Is he going to protest all 32 offices? No. So he goes to the league office. I just think, again, each team has his own reason. And again, here's where I continue to stand on this. Is he being blackballed? My answer is no. Are teams taken into account as politics more than football? My answer is absolutely yes. So somewhere on the pendulum between blackballed and treated like every other player lies Kirk Colin Kaepernick. And that's where we are. I don't think, I think blackball is teams getting together and deciding we're not going to sign this guy. And maybe I give owners too much credit. I don't think that's happening. I think these are team by team decisions. But again, when you start seeing every team look elsewhere and, you know, what, what just made me roll my eyes was the Ravens, the owner saying, pray for us. We're talking about Kaepernick. Pray for us. Pray for us? Pray for us? I mean, that's what you say when a tornado is about to hit town. That's what you say when the flood's coming. Pray for us on Kaepernick? That kind of escalated it once again. Listen, 
We'll see what happens with this rally. Again, we're at this team versus league dynamic. What's the league's position? Well, it's been kind of quiet. What are the team's position? Even more quiet, except for the pray for us comment. You just, I do think, now maybe I'm naive, I think he'll be signed. I don't know if it's going to be September, October, but he will be signed, in my opinion, before the end of the season as an injury replacement. And that's all it's going to be now, obviously. We're not in any kind of situation where it's going to be anything more than an injury replacement. In other words, the backup will move up to starter and maybe Colin will come in as the number two. By the way, with Jay, with Jay Cutler signing, I've said this so many times, and people sort of wonder if, if this is true. I, there are very, very few players who retire that won't unretire. Now, I know, yeah, maybe talk about Calvin Johnson. There are going to be those. But when Jay Cutler went to the booth, and I said this about Romo too, they're going to jump out. If they get a call, they'll jump out. And you can talk about protecting their health and you talk about time with the family, whatever it is, they'll jump back in. Just like I talked about football, a drug for fans, it's a drug for players too. In case anyone hasn't been following football, 99.5% of NFL players do not retire. They are retired. Now, Romo and Cutler are two that happen to retire, but they're pulled back in. And I know so many players that have been quote-unquote retired by their teams that would love somebody to unretire them. Speaking of that, last comment about some of these holdouts. Now, we've got three in the NFL, and a holdout is a player under contract that has not come to camp, that is not performing his contract. Subject to fines, 40000 a day. We've got three. We've got Aaron Donald with the Rams. I'm putting him in a separate category because the Rams are, I repeat, are working on that. So they want to get that done, and I think it will get done. The other two are Donald Penn, lineman of the Raiders, and Dwayne Brown, lineman for the Texans. These two are true holdouts. Here's the deal. they got two years left. They've seen the market pass them by a tackle. They did their deals when the market wasn't there. They didn't get top of market. Now they want them. You wonder if, with this whole thing I've talked about so many times, guarantees, no future guarantees, if the team would guarantee a portion or all in their they would like the most, all of 2018, would they come back in? I'm not suggesting the teams would do that. I don't think they would. But here's what the teams can do. Number one, they can ignore them, which it seems like they're doing. They're saying they have contracts. We hope to see them. Number two, they can tear up the contract, do a brand spanking new one with big-time money and bonuses, the whole deal. They're not going to do that. Number three is what I did in Green Bay, maybe a compromise option. And here's what I would do. And I didn't do this for all players into this boat, and I never really had a hold out, but this happened in the offseason. I would go a compromise approach. In other words, I would add money to their contract, but it would be quote-unquote earnable money. In other words, it would be workout bonus. It would be uh, per-game roster incentives. It would be performance incentives each year of varying amounts. That way, we could look at them and we could look at the rest of the team because everything's about precedent. Once you do it for one, people are going to come to you and say you did it for him. We could look at our team and say that was earnable money. That was nothing given. That was not a signing bonus. That was not a guarantee. That was not increased salary. It was earnables. So if the Raiders, they have Reggie McKenzie, who saw me do that several times in Green Bay, 
or Rick Smith at the Texans decide to do something, that to me would be it, a compromise approach of earnables rather than non-earnables. We'll see what happens there. And by the way, just a glossary term, Levin Bell, franchise player unsigned, I've said that the Steelers secretly want him staying away. I would. I want him in a glass case, not not to be broken until the start of the season. Last thing he needs is getting contact before when it counts. But he's not a holdout. He's an unsigned player. Holdout has a contract. He doesn't have a contract. So Le'Veon Bell is an unsigned franchise player. He's probably doing the right thing, and they secret, secretly the Steelers think he's doing the right thing, staying away until it counts later in training camp or maybe in the week of the season. We'll see him then, and I'll see you next week on another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. This has been Andrew Brandt reporting to you from Bend, Oregon. Hope you have a great week. Listen to all the podcasts on RossTucker.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, wherever you hear your podcasts. Follow me at Twitter, at Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to Brandt's Rants Edition. See you next week on the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.